Welcome to Patriots Podium, a regular podcast by the New York State Conservative Party. I am Party State Chairman Jerry Kassar. Today we are joined by New York City Council Member Carmen Yeager, who represents parts of Midwood, Borough Park, Bensonhurst, Kensington, and Gravesend in Brooklyn. Common was first elected to the city council in 217 as a Democrat conservative. He is currently running for re-election with the endorsements of the Democratic, Conservative, and Republican parties. Common is a member of the bipartisan Common Sense Caucus in the New York City Council, all of whose members carry the Conservative Party endorsement. The Conservative Party's uh, Patriot Podium is a bi-weekly podcast that brings newsmakers, elected officials, and conservative leaders to you as we participate in a wide range of topics. Common, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Jerry. Well, let me just get started. You're a Democrat. You're always running with conservative party endorsement and currently with GOP endorsement. And you're a member of the Common Sense Caucus in the City Council. Tell us about the caucus and how that differentiates you from many of the members of the city council. Well, the, the caucus is something that uh, I, I, me and a couple of friends dreamed up when in my first term uh, after we won. And at that time, we were able to create it uh, with four Democrats and three Republicans, uh, all three Republicans who were in the council then. Uh, and we were not just good allies and common thinkers, but we were also good friends. Uh, and, and we were able to have real conversations about what was going on in the city and what was going on at the council. Um, many of us at that time were elected at the same time. Eleven of us came in uh, uh, in 2017. Uh, the remainder were already in the council. And of those 11, three of us uh, joined this caucus. Uh, four of us, excuse me, joined this caucus at the very beginning. So we really had something going. Uh, and in the new council, uh, after the 2021 elections, uh, there were five Republicans and two Democrats who joined the caucus together, and we were seven. Uh, and today there was, uh, as we stand today, there is somebody who switched into the Republican Party, so the caucus is now eight. And, uh, you know, that, that represents a strong, not a majority, but a strong minority point of view where we are allied on almost everything. Um, uh, we, we, the most important part, I think, is to actually talk. And it's not just to talk amongst ourselves because eight guys sitting in a room doesn't really get anything done, but it's to talk to the others and to try to bring common thinkers into our thought process um, on, on what we think the direction of the city is. Well, very good. I mean, I think uh, I've seen success on your part. I've seen uh, of the caucuses part. I've seen issues that have come to the forefront through you guys, which then sometimes the mayor uses a bit of a, a backdrop to help uh, reinforce what is general opposition to the progressive group within the city council, which is pretty large. Uh, so, I mean, I, I see where you come in. Eight members, these are 170,000 member districts, correct? Aren't your districts about 100? I mean, that's that yeah. theoretically, you guys are representing over a million New Yorkers. That's well, look, I mean, we've always, Jerry, we've always talked about the fact that, that we are the silent majority. Um, right. uh, I, I like to refer to us as the normals in the council, not, not necessarily as any uh, part of any you know, thinking or aligned type of caucus, but just representing the normal point of view of the average typical New Yorker who walks up and down the streets of the city. Makes sense. Uh, there are many things going on in the city these days. I mean, a topic of interest, I believe, to all of us is the New York City's willingness to become a haven for well over 100,000 illegal immigrants making their way here from uh, the southern border mostly. Uh, much of the blame has fallen squarely on the city's uh, right to shelter laws 
and sanctuary city status, in addition to the left-leaning nature of New York City. Uh, could, could you, for our audience, address these two issues, the uh, right to shelter and the sanctuary city status? Well, sure. I mean, the right to shelter, as you know, is not a right. Um, uh, it, is, it is something that was, that was created as a consent decree uh, some 40 years ago, specifically related to a scourge on the city of literally homeless people sleeping in the street and whether or not the city had an obligation to get them off the streets and into some kind of a shelter. And that, that was, at that time, actually, the language was very clear. Homeless men sleeping on the streets, the city was not addressing that um, in any real way. And uh, the mayor and the governor at the time uh, made this agreement that they were going to do better, which is you know, government's obligation to do better. It's not, it's not okay for government to let people just sleep on the streets. That has morphed over time into what we're seeing today, which is, in essence, an open door. Anybody who shows up in New York City and says they want to live here, well, congratulations, you now have a room at the Roosevelt. That is not what was intended. And as, as you know, you and I, our families came here from somewhere else. My, my father came here on a boat with my uncle and his parents with permission of the government and um, with the proper paperwork and did a stop off on Ellis Island and had family here in New York to take care of them and welcome them in. And nobody gave them a room at the Roosevelt. And what we're actually seeing, um, I mean, we saw this online over the last several months that the greatest searched uh, uh, phrase in some countries is New York City Roosevelt Hotel, um, not because they're coming here for a vacation. And we, it's, it's simply not sustainable. It's simply not sustainable. We cannot pay $383 a night to house 64,000 approximately asylum seekers that are currently listed in the city system as being asylum seekers. Over 119,000 have already come in. They're in the city's care. Um, and this just represents a fraction of the numbers that we're seeing. It's not sustainable. It's costing us $15.5 million a day as of the current numbers. That's projected to be almost $6 billion a year. And that's created already, having just adopted a budget in July, in June, we've already created just a couple of months into the new budget, a gap of nearly $7 billion with a B dollars over the next two years not sustainable for the health of the city. So when the mayor says that this is going to destroy the city, he's not referring to the presence of individual people that's going to destroy the city. What he's referring to is the burden on the city's budget and ultimately on the taxpayers. And that will destroy the city. How about the uh, sanctuary city status? Uh, I mean, that's that can be a contributing factor, particularly when you take the view that the federal government is essentially kept out. Now, I know originally this, the, even the police department believed that you needed sanctuary city status for purposes of obtaining information, but it seems like it, is, it has gone way beyond what the original uh, purpose of sanctuary cities was. Look, I mean, the, the idea of sanctuary city and why it's phrased that way is really a biblical term, right? And and it was it was about forgiveness for having done something wrong and being able to express remorse and run to another place and start your life anew. And, and of course, as people who came to a country from somewhere else, we recognize the idea that that the United States is a country that was created with an open and welcoming arm. We welcome people. We do. But we also do it responsibly. We do it with a, with with a 
enter one at a time through the door that is approved. We don't just say anybody can come here. Our borders are wide open. As many as you are, come here and you will be a burden upon us that we will take care of you. We can't do that. We can't afford it as a country. So when, when a natural disaster happens, for example, in Haiti, right, we have what's called temporary protective status for Haitians who had to flee a country that simply they could not live in anymore. That kind of policy makes sense because we are a kind, generous, and charitable nation. What we are not is the world's hotel, especially if we have to foot the bill for it. Yeah, very true. So the mayor appears to be working or at least expressing a willingness to slow the inflow of asylum seekers. The city council leadership and the Progressive Caucus has really the opposite position. Who's going to win the tug of war? Well, you know, we have a strong mayor system in the city. Uh, Sometimes it works in favor of thinkers like us. Sometimes it works against us. Right now, as it stands, based on where the mayor's positions are, I'm hopeful the mayor wins it. Um, the yeah. reason I think he, the reason I think he gets into a better place, and I think he will, is because at the end of the day, he controls the pocketbook. We adopt the budget, but the mayor, in effect, signs the checks. And we can say whatever we want in the budget, but at the end of the day, if the mayor chooses not to spend something that we've allocated, uh, he doesn't have to. Right now, we're forcing his hand as, as not we, me, and my my allies in the council, but we as a council are forcing his hand because we are making him make these tough decisions. At some point. The mayor will have to decide, do I clean a street or do I give somebody a hotel room? It's going to come to that place. And anybody who thinks it doesn't is being naive. Mm-hmm. When people say, well, we can afford it. We, we are the richest city in the world. We can afford it. Well, OK, but where does that money come from? At the end of the day, it comes from our taxes. And the only answer to somebody who says that is, well, you must mean raise taxes. And their answer is, well, of course we mean raise taxes. That's not OK. We have to figure out a way to balance this budget within the realms of what it is we're taking in, not by raising taxes and not by cutting vital services to New Yorkers. Well, you know, Sienna just uh, recently came out with a poll that indicated that overwhelmingly New York's state residents believe that the migrant crisis will do in New York City. So your view you know, from a populist perspective, and not surprisingly, is reflected by the majority of New Yorkers. So you would hope that at some point, elected officials would listen to the view of what is a clear majority of New Yorkers. So, well, Jerry, I like to believe, you know, in public office, and it's, it's one of the, you know, we talked about this a long time before I ran for the first time. I like to believe that an elected official's job is, is not just to get up and say something but to get up and channel the beliefs of the people he or she represents, to give them a voice through his or her microphone. And the idea that I am representing a thought process that that appeals to the majority, and I've said this all the time, we are not inventing something new. The people agree with us. And on this particular topic, they are 100% there in the communities we represent. And all across the state, you're seeing people react and, and recognize that this is not sustainable. Absolutely. Going to uh, change topics here. Uh, Brooklyn's very unique. It really is a composite of the world contained in like 70 square miles. You you represent one of the largest Orthodox Jewish communities outside of Israel. Although, frankly, I would consider your district, and I know it quite well, I live right outside it, very diverse. Um, Just west of your district is one of New York City's largest communities of Asian Americans. And just west of that, maybe no more than a half a mile, 
from your district is one of the largest Palestinian communities in the country. And like I said, I live uh, essentially in the middle of it all. What is the pulse in the Orthodox community right now? Well, first, I'll just talk about the demographics. I mean, you know, I am very, very lucky to represent a community like mine, um, a community of the largest number of Orthodox Jews anywhere in the United States, the largest number of Holocaust survivors anywhere in the world outside of Israel live in my neighborhood. It is a sacred trust. It is a, a, a distinct honor and privilege to be their employee, uh, to be their representative and to be their voice. Um, but at the same time, we as a community, um, uh, both geographically and broadly speaking, demographically, we have had tremendously wonderful relationships with our neighbors. The Asian neighbors uh, live not just to our west, but within our neighborhoods, right next door to us. Um, uh, in fact, the community board that I served on for 18 years on the council has a very large Pakistani community with whom we had incredible, wonderful relationships. Uh, members of the board that I served with for years, they are my friends. And in fact, uh, after I left the board, uh, we, the, my board, uh, that board made the distinction of having the first Muslim American chair, a black Muslim, somebody who I knew since I was a teenager who loved our community. So this idea that, you know, our diversity is necessarily our enemy is so, you know, and people want that to be the case. It's not true. Our diversity is our friend and we make it work and it's beautiful. The pulse of the community, the pulse of the community before the last two weeks of, of the war on Israel by Hamas was, was, oh, was uh, 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 troubling uh, and it was troubled. Um, we felt under attack for the last several years in, in terms of anti-Semitic crimes, which, by the way, are closely tied to anti-Asian crimes. You frequently see the same perpetrators. Um, uh, it, it is something that we have lived with since uh, right before the pandemic started. Uh, that was perking up. And it, there are people in government who were happy to shovel upon us um, to otherize our community in dangerous ways. Uh, there are people who attack our education system. Um, who have who have made hay about that and, and decided that this is their way. And of course, when you have the paper of record, the New York Times painting huge target on the back of the Orthodox Jewish community, um, it, it sends a message to others that it is acceptable to hate us, that it is acceptable to otherize us. Uh, not for nothing, Jerry, you're a student of history. You know this has been going on for thousands of years. So we're no stranger to it, but this is America. And uh, we lived here in peace for a very long time. President Washington was famous for having sent the first letter to the Turo Synagogue in Rhode Island, welcoming the Jewish people to the American dream. Um, we never thought we'd be cut out of it. Well, for, I suspect you will not be cut out of it, but let me uh, let me just follow up. There have been some very large protests in the city representing both support for Israel and support for the Palestinian community. Do you think it's been lost on some that Israel was attacked by Hamas? a terrorist organization, one that is also anti-American? You know, the easy way to answer that is to say yes and move on. But the truth is, I don't think it's been lost on them. I think that they are, they are using this as an opportunity. I find it hard to believe that amongst the elected officials and people with, with high-profile microphones uh, and people in journalism, that they are not able to recognize who and what Hamas is. And Hamas didn't just start killing Jews two weeks ago. They've been doing this for a very long time. They fire, they've been firing daily barrages of missiles into Israel. And they, unlike uh, Israeli missiles that target terrorist headquarters and terrorist outposts and missile launching sites, um, the Hamas missiles are designed to land in residential neighborhoods 
to cause terror, to cause chaos, to murder. Um, and that is a big difference. Do I think that it's lost? I don't think it's lost. Unfortunately, I wish it was. It's not. They know what they're doing. They know what they're saying. The people who oppose uh, Israel and the people who support Hamas by their words and their deeds know exactly what they're doing. Oh, very, that's very, very interesting take. Thank you. It seems that the overarching question is, uh, will the war expand and how will it ever end? Your thoughts? You know, I, uh, I, as much as I, I like to consider myself where red, I, I'm not an expert on foreign policy. Um, you know, I'm not a member of Congress. I don't have State Department access or Defense Department credentials. But I, I would say the following. I mean, to will it ever end? It will end. It will end. Um, Israel, uh, for the first time, I think in a very long time, I think since the Yom Kippur War, um, has such a clearly defined moral path ahead of what it needs to do. Um, uh, it was one thing when, you know, Hamas would send in a couple of missiles and then it would stop. And then Israel would say, okay, well, that was it for now. No need to necessarily respond. Or maybe we'll just take out one site. And then Hamas would do it again, uh, again. And then, you know, Israel would go in and they used to call it uh, mowing the lawn. It would go in, take a couple of sites out and then, you know, have some calm and peace. I think Israel now realizes that it has to end Hamas. That this is not, like I said about another topic, it's just not sustainable. Hamas cannot continue to exist, and whatever is necessary to end Hamas has to be done. Um, will it expand? It almost has to um, before it gets better. I don't think it gets better before it gets, I don't think it doesn't get worse before it gets better, but I do think that it will ultimately end with a victory by Israel because the world is recognizing what Israel is facing. <laughs> So, you know, this is a perfect segue into the issue of policing, frankly. The progressives in New York City Council have done great damage to the morale of the NYPD, as well as putting in place changes that affect their ability to do their jobs. Crime has been increasing. I mean, they play with the stats, but we know living here, the crime has been increasing. The migrant issue is taking up massive resources, as you indicated. And now we have international tensions which are being played out on the streets of New York let alone the threat of renewed terrorism. You are a big supporter of the NYPD, well-known for your support of the NYPD. What, what are you hearing from the men and women in New York City law enforcement? Retirements are very high and recruitments are lagging. You know, um, I have a lot of friends in the police force, uh, some of whom in my home precinct where I live, I know since, since I was a much younger fella and uh, had way more hair. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're moving up in their age and their time. And, uh, it used to be a love for the job and it still is a love for the job. But a lot of them are having their eye on uh, to the time when it's ready, where they're ready to go out. And that's, that's a big problem in the city. We are losing the most experienced cops, uh, the guys who, uh, men and women who know these streets. Um, and, uh, you know, what I find fascinating in the council, we actually had this debate, uh, over a year ago was that there was a, there was a resolution a home rule message, as you know, uh, to to allow for uh, increased benefits for retirement to to make make that retirement value. And what you see from the left is they always talk about they want the police force to look like the city. They want the city, the police force to be more diverse and the police force has gotten more diverse over time. But the left also didn't want to encourage retirement by by helping the potential retirees get their pension benefits, thus keeping the police force with the people who they actually are very public about not liking. Um, you know, I always joke about, uh, and it's almost, it's not really a joke. It's more tongue in cheek, but those, those so-called progressives who say, you know, 
defund or, you know, less cops. If you don't want cops in your neighborhood, put my neighborhood at the top of the list of where we'll take them. We are happy to have your cops. If you want to shut down the precincts in your neighborhood, you don't want police there, send them my way. We'll take them. Um, no, 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 we don't mean that. Uh, and, and the reality is that the city is becoming more dangerous. And it's a combination of factors, and it's not just related to the number of cops we have, but this started over the last decade with decriminalizing things, with, with doing things what, what Senator Pat Moynihan would have called defining deviancy down, setting the bar of acceptable conduct lower and lower and lower to the point where now it's okay to drive your bike on the sidewalk. It's okay to smoke drugs on the street and blow it into somebody's face. You don't get a ticket if your dog poops on the ground. You can urinate in public. You can do whatever you want. And really, unless it's covered by the press, nothing's going to happen to you. We are now seeing more and more people assaulted in the subway, pushed, God forbid, God forbid, pushed in front of subways than we have ever seen before. Uh, the numbers over the last three years eclipsed the numbers over the last two decades. Why is that happening? The subways are not more occupied. What's going on? Yeah, well, I think that is uh, well stated and actually reflects, the, once again, the views of the majority of New Yorkers. But some of the other, uh, some of your colleagues are quite loud, I might point out, quite loud about coming up with different uh, different perspectives. Well, I agree uh, with that, Jerry. But, you know, I always say about the, the, the ones who are the loudest, and, and I surely sit near some of the louder ones in the council, um, uh, and it's fascinating that they have the positions they have because a lot of those communities are high crime and they, they could use some some help. Um, but the loudest ones are usually the least knowledgeable. Um, I agree. They scream from the playbook that they've been handed when they signed up for their DSA course or their whatever, you know, left-wing uh, policy course. And, and they, they regurgitate leftist words that when you put them together in a sentence really don't mean anything, but they string them the long as if they're forming a fully formed thought. And the reality is that they don't have a plan for the future of the city. What they have a plan is for anarchy, chaos, and a destruction of an incredibly wonderful, beautiful city, a city that worked, that worked for everybody from the right to the left and, and a city of hundreds and hundreds of neighborhoods and millions of people. And it worked for a very long time. And we saw that for 20 years of success in the city. Well, I mean, hopefully we get, and what you say is true. New York City, I believe, is, has the rare, um, the, the, the rare success among major metropolitan areas in the country until possibly the last, you know, 10, 12 years. Uh, and that's a lot of it has to do with changes in the council. And sometimes, you know, frankly, Mayor de Blasio uh, left something to be desired there. He was kind of uh, an awful mayor, in my view, anyways. But having said that, um, we're at a crossroads here, a crossroads where yeah. we could we are going to go under, frankly, financially, uh, politically, potentially, um, you know, potentially uh, from a crime perspective, if we're not able to grab, you know, grasp these issues and move forward in the next probably year or two. So, you know, individuals like yourself and you're running for re-election this year, the whole council is running for re-election. These are two-year terms for the one one time, just this one time, they're two-year terms. It's going to be important that there be some sensibility brought back into the council, even if it's the same people all re-elected. Sooner or later, they're going to have to see that, like you said earlier, this is not sustainable. On well, Jerry, this is, this is an existential crisis on New York City right now. It's not just that it's not sustainable. We are going to go under. This is not Chicken Little. 
I'm I'm not somebody who who shrieks irresponsibly. We are going to go under financially. Every time a multi-billionaire says, I'm done here and picks up and takes the hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars a year that they pay in taxes to another locale or where where they don't pay that much, uh, that is a loss on the city and it is not recoverable. But the biggest barometer, the best barometer for for where we stand now and the abandonment of the city by the people who live here is the reduction in the number of students in our public schools. Families are making a conscious decision that they cannot raise a family in this city, that the city is no longer hospitable to their ability to raise a family. And that, that, is re, that is a reflection of a lot of policies, not just the education system, but congestion pricing, for example, right. crime on the street, um, uh, quality of life in general, a filthy street. And when they say, well, we're done here, even though we grew up here, we lived here all our lives, our parents did, our par- grandparents did, we can't do it. That is going to bury this city. The city cannot come a city of, of, that loses its tax base. And that's what we're facing right now. Thank you. Common, any, well, I was going to ask you any final words. That was the final thought. The final thought is, Jerry, we got to do better. And I'm hopeful that, that in the next council, we have, the, the, we have courage from, from more members than just a few of us who stand up and say, we've seen it. We've heard the message. We know what's going on. We've talked to our neighbors over this election cycle. And we're going to stand up and push back. And, and one of the hopes that I had is, uh, and I'll leave this with a closing thought, the, the, um, uh, the so-called Progressive Caucus of the Council, uh, when this session started, the current session that we're in, had some 30 and change members. They're now down to 19. A whole chunk of them left the, the Progressive Caucus. And it's not because they don't consider themselves progressive, but they, they, they do have the position that that line, that line, whatever that line was, was too far for them to approach, was too far for them to get on. And they said enough is enough, and they walked away. And I and and the issue was policing, by the way. Um, and I I really feel that that is a glimmer of hope for the future of our city. That enough people who are liberals who believe in certain value systems—they're not bad people. They have a value system, and that's okay. We know a lot of good liberals. We are from Brooklyn. We know them. They have good hearts. They have good minds. They want to do right. And we know that those people, if they're willing to stand up and be pragmatic. They can help us save this city. We can't do it alone. I agree. Hey, thank you, Colin, for spending time with us. Uh, the thank Conservative you, Party, you. you're welcome. Thank you. The Conservative Party, and for that matter, myself, have enjoyed working you, you know, for quite a few years, frankly. You and I have been yeah. friends a, a long, time, long time, long before you were in the council. Long time. Thank you, uh, Katie and Andrew, for uh, making the, this podcast happen. And to our audience, uh, thank you for uh, – tuning in to what I believe is our, it's, I think it's our 12th podcast. We do them every two weeks, and I think this is our 12th. If you enjoyed today's podcast, subscribe wherever you listen and give us a five-star rating. Until next time, I'm Jerry Kassar, and this is Patriots Podium.